0: James 5, the moment you've been waiting for. We're going to close the book of James today. I was thinking about it this week, and, and that is, that's sad. I have enjoyed uh, studying James. I've en- I hope you have enjoyed studying James. I-, I hope that as we walk away from James and, and, and as we close this book today, although we never really close it, we will. Uh, I hope you've seen the theme of sacrificial mercy. I, I hope we would be a people who are sacrificially merciful. I hope that's the theme that we've seen running through the book of James, whether it's trials, whether it's fighting favoritism, whether it's serving one another, whether it's the tongue, whether it's the, the fight between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, whether, it, as we see today, the battle of prayer, I hope that sacrificial mercy has been has been the cry and the theme. That's what I've tried to speak to. Serving others at our own cost. Serving others regardless of the cost. F- following God and obeying God regardless of the cost, but also regardless of the reward that we, that we get here on this earth. Just like we sang about In that hymn today, Romans 8.18 says, I do not consider our present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. One day the the counts will be settled. One day when we stand, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to stand before our our Savior and and we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I promise you at that moment it will all be worth it when we stand before our Savior. James is a hard, it can be a hard book to study because it exposes our sin. We, We look in the mirror, and guess what? Sometimes we don't like what we see. James gets in our lives, messes things up, challenges us. And I hope that, I hope that, what we can say today versus when we first started James is we'll never be perfect, but are we making progress? I think what James has been crying out for is a it's a joyful obedience. It's a joy to sac- be sacrificially merciful. It's a it's a joy to serve one another. It's a joy to do these things, not a begrudging. God's not out for a begrudging obe- obedience. He's out for a joyful obedience in His people and, and our character through the study of God's Word, through submitting to God's Word, is being conformed day by day, moment by moment, to that of our Father. That, that's really the Christian life. Our character, taking God's character revealed in this book, applying it to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then God's character begins to show through our lives. It's, it's working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's taking that which is on the inside and pushing it to the outside. That, that is the Christian life. It's not just a bunch of do's or don'ts. It's about, it's about our character. It's about showing off the character of our Heavenly Father who has adopted us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And even in trials, even in good times. And that brings us to, to the close of the letter. L- listen to what James says as he closes this letter and kind of brings it all together. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Remember, these are a bunch of scattered believers persecuted all over the place. Is anyone suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and yet it did not and it did not rain on the earth for three and six months. Three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Lord, as always, help me to go as far as this word takes us. Do not let me go farther than it takes us. Lord, help us to see the truth that you're revealing here. As you expose sin, as you encourage faithfulness, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to take these words to heart. And Lord, at no matter the cost, help us to obey them. Help us to see the importance of prayer and what you've truly offered in prayer today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As been is the case each week, I'm trying to help us to walk out of here with with one central truth, one central idea, and you see it on your on your handout. It says prayer is first and foremost a constant fellowship. I want us to see prayer as fellowship. We we gotta see prayer as fellowship. It's not a genie in a bottle, it's not a get out of jail free card, it's fellowship. In the midst of all of life's circumstances, God has said, get in here. In the midst of good times, he said, get in here. In the midst of bad times, he says, get in here. Let's talk. It's fellowship. It's intimacy. James is landing here and he's saying this, it is only a strong fellowship with God that will enable us to be steadfast and immovable as we walk this journey as believers, as we're suffering, as we're persecuted, in a, in a land where we're aliens, where we're sojourners, where this is not our home. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. He says it's, it's, it's intimacy, it's fellowship with God that's going to help us stand tall in the face of opposition. It's intimacy. And that intimacy exists through prayer. It's through prayer. As we look at this passage, I could spend weeks and weeks and weeks getting caught up in all kinds of, kind of particulars here that, that, that scholars aren't in agreement over and, and, and that we may not agree on. But don't, we'll miss the point. We, we can get bogged down so far in the particulars here and we'll miss the whole point of this passage. The central theme of this section is Prayer. Every single one of these verses mentions prayer. The power of prayer. James takes everything he said about trials and and sin and favoritism and all these persecutions and all these things that he's shown and and he puts a bow on it with this, prayer. Fellowship with God. Intimacy with our Father. James is commanding that prayer be a central component of every believer's life. Listen, as I I was studying this, when we come to talk about prayer, nothing nothing that I'm going to say today, except maybe at the very end, is going to be shocking. I, I know you're sitting there thinking, okay, I know I need to pray. I know it's important. I know I need to do it. But do you do it? I think if we're honest, if we were going to give an evaluation of our lives and our walk with, as a believer, I, I would bet that every single one of us would say we could be more faithful to pray. We ought to be spending more time in prayer. And that's what James hits at. No, no, nobody in here is going to be surprised. You know what? I never thought about that. I never realized that I was supposed to be praying. I never realized that I was supposed to pray. You're you're not going to walk out here thinking that. But this is what I want us to see, and I think what James is showing us is is I think sometimes we view prayer wrongly, and thus we don't do more of it. I think it's our attitude about it what it is, or I think prayer becomes relegated to certain times. When I'm happy, when things are going good, when the bank account's good, hey, I got this. When things are seeming that are true, okay, God, you got this. Prayer, prayer really has become more of a lifeline when we're in trouble. Hey, when I don't know the answers, let me phone a friend. But, but you hang out until I got it. It becomes just a life raft. It becomes a, or a genie in the bottle where it's just like, God, gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, gimme. I think sometimes we view prayer wrongly. Prayer is an invitation to fellowship. It's an invitation to commune with the one true living God. It's an invitation to be heard and to be helped by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But beyond that, it is the means, one of the means in which God uses to, for us to persevere as a body. For us to hang in there. For us to have joy in trials. For us to stick through the good times and the bad times. And we'll see this as we close. It's fellowship. That, that, that helps you understand why in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, he says, give thanks. We should be an unceasingly prayerful people, it's fellowship. Going to the Father, a people who go to the Father with everything, good or bad, who just can't wait to commune with the Father. In all areas of life, no matter what's going on, we go to the Father. And and the question becomes this, is is that your attitude of prayer? Is that my attitude of prayer? How much time do you spend, how much time do I spend simply communing with the Father? What, what comprises, and, and, and your attitude of prayer can, be, can really be evaluated by asking this, what, what do your prayers consist of? What, what makes up most of your prayers? That, that'll tell you your attitude about prayer oftentimes. J- James, James is inviting us to have a, to have a theology of prayer, a, a correct thought towards prayer of this. God is literally saying to us, are you suffering? Get in here. Let's talk. Get in here. Are you cheerful? Get in here. Let's talk about it. You struggling? Get in here. It's coming It's coming in good times. It's coming in bad times. It's relational. It's not simply a duty. It's a delight. It's a gift. It's a loving father inviting his children to come in anytime. To curl up in his arms and just be held, just to just speak, just to be heard. I don't want us to be a people like, like our children or, or friends that only come to you when they need something. I don't want us to be that way. Because we have a Heavenly Father who has said, don't be that way. You, you, you ever have, and think about this, you ever have, you, you ever have those, those people in your life where when the caller ID comes up, your first inkling is not a smile? That name pops up in the caller ID, and you're like, oh. Okay, you've like got to give yourself a pep talk. We're just being honest here. Some of you are thinking about people in this room right now. <laughs> don't nod so easy. Don't nod so quickly. No. Some of you may be, some of you may be sitting next to the person you're thinking about, for all I know. Caller ID comes up, and you're like, oh. You, you're like, okay, this is going to take a while. They only call you when they need something. They only call you to complain. They only call you to, to, to demand something or just to throw up on you. I, I don't want prayer to be that way. Because it shouldn't be that way. I, I want our attitude to prayer to be to be right. And that's what James gets at. He says in, in in verse 13, he says, pray when you're suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. You'll see on your hand out, pray when you're suffering. He's going to deal with all circumstances here, but first of all, he says, pray when you're suffering. James has literally brought his letter full circle. He started with trials, and he's ending with trials. He's taking us back to James 1, 2, when he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of faith produces endurance. When he says there, he says trials of various kind. We, we remember we said that that was a very broad meaning. Don't try to limit that. Don't try to limit this either. Pray when you're suffering, suffering of any kind. Take it to God. He says, get in there with God, snuggle up to God, and give it to God. He's saying the way that you walk through suffering well is you walk through it in the arms of a father who loves you. You walk through it with intimacy with the Father. The way you walk through it with patience. The way you walk through it with perseverance the way you walk through and you come out on the other side, mature is through with the Father. it's, It's fighting off bitterness. It's fighting off retaliation. It's fighting off anger. It's fighting off all those things that our flesh wants to feel when we suffer. You know how you battle that? Through prayer. You battle that through prayer. You battle that by being in the presence of a Heavenly Father that loves us. We get godly wisdom, biblical wisdom through prayer. How to face these things rightly through prayer. Sacrificial mercy through prayer. And, and I would ask you, as James asks you, is that, your, is that your attitude? Is that your response to suffering? Is it prayer? Is it first and foremost prayer? Or is it first and foremost complaining? Is it first and foremost running to somebody else? Is it first and foremost these other things? Versus is it first and foremost prayer? James is showing us here that that prayer allows us and prayer empowers us to walk through difficulty with the right spirit and with the right perspective. It's through prayer. The right spirit and the right perspective. It's wisdom. It's prayer. First Peter 5 7 casting all our anxieties upon him. Why? It says because he cares for you. The very next next verse says, Our adversary, Satan, is like a prowling lion, a roaring, roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Think about that. Every moment of every day, Satan is prowling around looking for someone to devour. That right there ought to be motivation to be a praying people. But listen, why? Because he cares for you, God cares for you. Don't let Satan fool you. Trouble doesn't mean God doesn't care. Trouble does not mean that God does not care. That's worldly wisdom, not godly wisdom, as James has dealt with. Ma- make it our practice, James is saying. When you're suffering, turn to God with the trouble. When, when you're struggling, run to- rather than self-pity and retaliation and complaining and all these things, turn to God, he says. Turn to God. Find your refuge and strength. In God. If you're anxious, go to God. If you're worried, go to God. If you're, if you're being persecuted, go to God. Psalm 3 says, You, O Lord, are the glory and the lifter of my head. You're a shield about me. He goes on to talk about, our, My adversaries have increased all this. God was his shield. And he's your shield. Are you suffering? Go to God. Are you struggling? Go to God. Whatever, whatever the difficulty is, he's saying, Go to God. God is inviting you to go to Him. Pray when you're suffering, but also pray when you're rejoicing. He says, look what He says. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. I, I, would, I would put forth that it's oftentimes in the good times that we're quick to forget God. We're quick to forget God in the good times. Or, or it's, the opposite is true. And, and it's funny, I hear it all the time and I know what people meant, and even last night I was watching the Michigan-Michigan uh, the State game, and, and wow. if, you, if you don't like college football, watch the end of that game, you'll like college football. Michigan State pulled victory out of, the, out of defeat like never before. After the game, they, they interview one of the players and the guy, he says, what do you think about that? And he says, uh, God is so good. Well, and... And that's true. But guess what? The players on the Michigan team that lost, God is still good. Had Michigan State not miraculously picked up that fumbled punt and ran it in for a touchdown as time expired to win, God would have been no less good. We, We have to be real careful. We are real quick to tell everybody how good God is when things are going great. Listen to me, God is good when things are going bad. He's still good. But but the point is this, when when God blesses, be quick to proclaim that God is good, but, but know that He's good all the time. God is always, James is making this point, when you're suffering, run to God. When you're cheerful, run to God. God is always good and worthy of praise in all circumstances. That's the point James is making. He's worthy of praise in all circumstances. God is good no matter what happens to us. He's good. James has already dealt with that. In, in every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We, live, we are in the midst of a war. We're a war. People, Things happen in wars. We live in a fallen world. Satan is, in, in many regards, the ruler of this age. He's, he's, he's been given authority in that sense to, to, to seek. to ki- He seeks and he kills John 10. He says he wants to destroy. And there's a battle. The, the moment you professed Christ, you were taken out of his realm and you were put in a new realm with, under the banner of Jesus Christ. There's a war. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you rejoicing? Praise. Sickness and in health. God is good. Don't, don't let prayer, but listen to me, don't let prayer only be the cry of the suffering. In good times, praise Him. When we're suffering, pray to Him. In, in Acts 16, 25, you have Paul and, and, and it's Silas. They're sitting in a, a prison. You know what they were doing? They were singing praises. In, in Philippians one twelve, Paul is sitting in prison, and he says, "Brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of my circumstances; that they have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Good or bad, Paul said, I'll praise you. Good or bad, you're making a way. You're taking the gospel. Literally, the word there is divine. The for greater progress. I was talking to Chad about that this morning, and it reminded me: is the word there literally points to a divine woodcutter's in in in." In olden days, way back when, when a sovereign, when a king was going from this city to another city, he would send a team of individuals and they would go out and they would pave the way for that king to get from here to there with no trouble. If it meant eliminating a forest, they would eliminate a forest. If it meant building bridges, they would build bridges. If it meant doing whatever it, whatever was needed to get from there to there, that team would go do it and take care of it. That's the exact same word that Paul uses. For his circumstances. Do, 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 do we see our circumstances as God taking the gospel from here to here? Or are we so biblical minded and, and godly minded that we're like, okay God, you can use me for whatever you need to take the gospel from here to there. If it's good times, great. If it's bad times, that's okay too. But take the gospel. This is not, you know, Paul and Silas sitting in jail singing and everybody says, well, it's the jailhouse rocks and all this stuff. It's not this cute little story. They They were okay with whatever God did with them so long as the gospel was furthered. And if it meant I'm sitting in a jail cell sharing the gospel, I'll still praise him. And when we see God's character... As it truly is, when we see the God God of this word as he truly is, that will be our attitude. Perfectly no. Progress, yes, I hope so. I, I hope that we would get more of this than more of our flesh, good and bad in all things. When you're suffering, pray. When you're doing, when you're cheerful, pray. Look at what next he says in verses 14 through 16. Pray when you're sick. Is anyone among you sick? Then he was called for the elders. This passage of Scripture has, has different interpretations to it, trying to understand what, what is the oil there and, and what's going on, and we have to be very careful. You know, uh, The Baptists don't want to go anywhere near over here to where maybe somebody had the gift of healing, and the Charismatics want to turn this into, well, if you're sick, just lay your hands on them and you're automatically healed. Well, I don't know that either one of those are right. Because I've done, I've done exactly that. I've been a part of this where the person was healed. And I've been a part of this where the person was not healed physically. But listen to me, God is good. And the point, the point of what James is saying here is this. There is power in prayer. Don't miss that. There's power in prayer. You, you have someone here who cannot make it to church. And thus the leaders of the church go to them. They are summoned to go and pray for the person. The elders would have been spiritually mature men. They would have been who guided the spiritual development of the church and the maturation of the church. But look look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. What healed this person? The person or the prayer? The prayer. Why? Because the Heavenly Father who heard that prayer is the one who heals. It had nothing to do with the person. The prayer healed that person. According to verse 16, not not only the leadership and the individuals were to pray, but look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So at the same time the leaders are praying, corporately, guess what? Everyone in the church is praying. So you have tremendous power there. But the power was in God to whom they were praying. Do not think for one moment that if, if I do this or that, 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 that the power lies in me, as long as I do this and that right, the power is in God. The power is in the goodness and the character of God. Th- this is the only time outside of Mark 16, 6:13, rather, where the, disi- the disciples in Mark 16, they were casting out demons, they were oin- anointing with oil. This is the only time that this is mentioned, outside of that. And you've got to be careful. What is James teaching here? I think what James is teaching here is pray for one another. Pray. And James goes to great lengths to, to make us understand sickness is not always directly tied to sin. He says, if you've sinned, if he has committed sins. Not necessarily always tied to sin. Are we sinners? We are. And do we suffer because of our sin? We do. And sometimes we're suffering directly. You can look at 1 Corinthians 11. Why were they sick? Because they had taken the Lord's suffering the wrong way. Sometimes we are sick because of sin, but not all the time. In John 9, there's a man born blind, and they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, Neither one of them sinned. This man's born blind, that I would be glorified in this moment right here. Nobody sinned. But the point James is making is pray. There's no certainty that this is connected to sin. Again, he says, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven of him. He's saying, search your heart. Search your heart and be real honest. It might be, but it might not be. But, But look at what it says. The prayer offered in what? Verse 15, faith. Only the prayer offered in faith will be answered. That's exactly what James said if any of you lacks wisdom, one chapter 1, verse 5, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach. It will be given, but he must ask in faith without doubting. Faith. Faith. We, we need to be a people who trust the character of our God. There, there's a theology out there that, says, that takes this and says, well, if you just had enough faith, God would have healed. That's bogus too. It's about God's will. And that faith there in many ways is just trusting yourself to whatever God you decide to do, I'm okay with. Your will, not my will. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm asking you in faith that you would do this, but I'm going to trust you even if you don't. But the, 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 power is, the power is not in the person praying, but it's in God who answers the prayer. That's what James is saying. The power is in God who answers the prayer. I mean, the one, the, one, the one praying here, they would say, well, you know, if you had enough prayer, if you had enough faith, sick person, you would have been healed. Interesting enough here, the person who's praying, it talks about their faith. It doesn't even mention the sick person's faith. So that's bogus too. This is about God. This is about trusting the goodness of God. It's about God's will being supreme in the matter. It's about us being submissive to whatever God chooses to do. Interesting. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul prayed three times that God would remove a thorn out of his flesh, that would remove his his illness or whatever the physical calamity it was that was bothering Paul. What was God's answer? Nope. My grace is sufficient. Did Paul just not have enough faith? If Paul didn't have enough faith, I would dare say you and I are in trouble. It was about God's God's will. It was about God teaching Paul that, look, the strength is in me, not in you. It's in me. In in Titus 3.20, Paul says this, they left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Why didn't Paul heal him? It wasn't God's will. Wasn't his will? He left him sick. If you're not trusting in the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God, that's going to be a difficult passage to swallow. He left him sick. We pray in faith according to the word, and we do not doubt. And guess what? God moves. James already said. I, I read it in verse, in chapter one, verse six. We must ask in faith without doubting. Like I said, I've been to hospital rooms where God answered my prayers, and I've been in rooms where He did not. Was the problem my prayer? Maybe. I hope not. Not according to the Bible, though. The Bible would say it's 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 not up to you, Chris, but you are to pray. Because I do know that God has been moved at times through the prayers of His people from our perspective, from our perspective. God does answer prayers. Sometimes, sometimes my prayer aligned with God's will and sometimes my prayer didn't align with God's will. That's why you have Romans 8. You have Romans 8. You look at Romans 8, 26 plus 27. That's how you get Romans 8, 28. That God God does all things according to his will. He works out all things according to His will. You have my prayer reinterpreted, it, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit takes it and says, well, you know what? Kind of like if Chris really knew the situation, if he really, he'd pray this, and then 28, God works it out. Works all things good. But through our prayers, pray. The, the, God does answer prayer. That cannot be denied. And there is clearly a connection between my praying and our fellowship with God and His movement. And this is what this is this is where I think God is getting to here. There is a relationship between God's sovereignty and and our prayers. And that's that's what Paul, I mean James is saying. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. He was trusting in a sovereign God to accomplish his will, but he worked through his prayer. And when we pray, when we pray, our faith recognizes and submits to His will and everything. That's oftentimes the beauty of prayer, is getting my will in line with God's will. It's not getting God to do what I want, it's getting my heart to be okay with what God wants. And, and, when, and God heals when it's His will to heal. And, and sometimes I think what James is hitting at here and I'm not trying to be weird here, and I understand I'm in a Southern Baptist church, I'm trying to be theologically accurate, so don't, I'm not trying to be weird here. But sometimes, sometimes, and I've been there where God, you pray and God gives you the assurance as you're praying that it's going to happen. It, it, it's not happened very often. But you just know in your heart that it's going to happen. You just know God gives you the assurance. And I'm not trying to be weird, and I'm not saying you can't conjure that up, you can't, motive, you can't manufacture on your own, just God and His goodness in, in just the, the, the supernatural assurance that my prayer was spot on with His will. Just spot on. But even then, the power was with God, not me. God was just allowing me to be blessed in that opportunity. The power was with God. Not something that I do on my own. You just know God was going to answer. Rare, but it happened. Even in in the forgiveness of sin here. Look, the forgiveness of sin. The power to forgive was not in the person praying. It was in the God who forgives sin. The the verb tense, they will be forgiven. In the Greek, that's in the passive. Meaning somebody else is doing the forgiving. God is doing the forgiving. The word they're forgiven literally means sent away. God will send your sins away if you ask for forgiveness. The Christian doesn't free ourselves from sin. The power is outside ourselves. They will be forgiven. And what James is saying there is our part as a body is to deal with our sin. Sometimes that means, you know what, coming along somebody and confessing your sin to your brother so they can hold you accountable, so they can help you. Maybe that person's already walked through it. You go to them and say, hey... It doesn't mean we all have to stand up here and just shout our sins off of the rooftop. It does mean that we walk alongside each other in our sin. It does mean in the proper context and the proper setting, we come alongside brothers and sisters in Christ and we're vulnerable and we allow others to walk with us through our sin. What he's saying there is we 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 pray collectively, but we also pray individually. And when we pray and confess and look after one another, in the end, what God does is produce a body of believers that are are knit together tight. Because we're looking after one another. And we're comforting one another. And we're encouraging one another. And and James uses Elijah to that point. Look, Look at the illustration in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Interesting. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three and three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and, and the earth produced its fruit. Well, I think what, what he's showing us there is prayer in and of itself is not, it, in it is not in and of itself powerful, but its power is unlimited in the God of this Bible. You, you don't just you don't just pray. You don't just pray to nobody, you pray to the God of this Bible. You're calling on a father through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're calling on your father to act. It's rooted in the character of God. He's powerful and he's unchangingly good, James tells us in 117. That's where the power comes from. But but not only that, an upright person's prayer, when it keeps at work, is very powerful. That's what he also teaches. Prayer is powerful. And if God answered Elijah's prayer, you know what James is saying? If God answered Elijah's prayer, why wouldn't He, why not ours? Same God, same character. Why not? So not only in in suffering and in cheer and in sickness, but but look at the fourth point here on your handout. Pray and pursue each other so that believers would not stray from the truth. And here's where I want you to listen real carefully so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. James brings this together, talking about the power of prayer and the importance of prayer with some very powerful words in verses 19 and 20. If any among you strays, brethren, from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The danger is this. It is entirely possible that believers will stray from these truths. That will wander with, from these truths. People will sin. The, the Greek word here is, most con, is, is not used for accidental, but for a deviation. It's not an accidental sin here like you would see in Galatians 6. The word here is different. It's for a, it's for a deviation from the truth of the gospel. They've deviated from the truths of the gospel. It's a deviation from the faith. What James puts forth here is the danger of straying from the truth of the gospel, and it's serious. Spiritual death, he says. This is a person who, at the very least, James addresses as brethren; at the very least, outwardly identified with Christianity. Was, was amongst the community of believers. And when they stray, listen to me. The, our role here, the importance of the church here is when they stray, we must help them come back. That's why we gather. We must bring them back. That's part of the importance of what we do here. Individual believers and in churches exist to spur one another on to obedience God's commands, to stay in God's commands. We see here sovereignty and responsibility all mingled together. Does God, is God the one that keeps us and, and a true believer will persevere? Absolutely. But you know how God does it? He does it at least partly through the church and through us praying for one another. Regularly meeting together, communion, fellowship with God corporately and individually. God saves and sustains to the end, but he uses the church in the process. The point is that our job is to go after and care about each other. To pray for one another, to go after one another. Listen, if pay close attention, because I don't want you, I do not want you to hear me saying something that I didn't say. Communication can get crazy. I threw out words, your ear hears them in a certain way, you walk out of here, and now I'm doing a cleanup. I'm not. We trust Christ as our Savior, and I'm going to be very careful here. We tr- when, we, when we trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, when we repent of our sinfulness, when we look alone to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, when Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness, we exchange our sinfulness, we get Christ's righteousness. Our sins are covered, literally forgiven. Again, the word there means sin away. In this, a sinner is adopted into God's family. You are a child forever. That is a truth that the Bible consistently puts forth. The question becomes: what role does the church play in that, if any? How, how is it that God keeps us? How is it that we end up that we persevere? And we see that in, in briefly in Hebrews 10 24. Just briefly, you see the purpose of the church. I'll read it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Listen, God is sovereign and he does the persevering, but he does it at least in part as the church looks after one another. He does it through you and I and the body of Christ looking after each other. At least in part. And this involves serving one another. It involves praying for one another. It involves loving one another. Uh, Do you see that? Do you see what he's saying in 19 and 20? Again, this is a book written to believers. If any among you stray from the truth, go after him, he says. If they wander away from the truths of the gospel, go after them. I shared it, you know, that, that is why, this is why every birthday card that I send to our kids, stick to the gospel. I write in there, if you ever wonder if Christ loves you, look at the cross. If you ever doubt whether God loves you, look at the cross. I pray that, that the truths that they're clinging to now would be the truths that they would hold on to the rest of their lives. But we as a church would be praying for that. The, the point is this. We are at war. It is Satan versus God. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were transferred from Satan's realm into God's realm, and Satan is not happy about that. It is a war for our allegiance. That is why James is saying, we better be a people who are praying for one another. We better be a people that understand the stakes are high. That, that Satan is deceptive and he wants us to, 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 to wander away and to, to, to believe lies and all to live according to worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, to deceive us. And God in his wisdom has set up the church for believers to do life together. And in doing so, they, they keep each other obeying God's commands and following Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that in 19 and 20? persevering until the Lord returns. That that is the importance of the church and prayer. We persevere, at least in part, through the prayers and the fellowship and what's going on here, spurring one another on. I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying someone can lose their salvation. Please don't hear me saying that. But I am saying there's a mystery here where God is saying the church is used by God to help those who are truly saved persevere strongly and mature until the end. And when we fall, God is saying through James, you better be a people that goes after each other. I mean, if your child, think about it, if your child was missing, well, it's been a couple days, I haven't seen him, but you know, know. you'd be scared to death. If your child was missing for 35 minutes, and you didn't know. You'd be scared to death. When one of us goes missing, when we haven't seen somebody for a couple weeks, what do you do about it? Do you call them? Do you get after them? Not in a bad way, but in love. Do you go talk? Do you go find them? Not not just me. I, I have a responsibility to go after them, but you have a responsibility to go after them. At the very least, go after them again with the gospel. If, 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 depending on what the situation was, go back to them with the gospel. Go find out. You know, if you say, well, what if they don't turn back? Well, my answer would be, at the very least, then that's God's to deal with. Jesus made it very clear, there will be tares among the wheat. And I don't oftentimes know the difference. So I go to with the gospel. But not only one another, that's what we do. The application would even be that's what we do with lost people, with people that are unchurched, that people don't know Jesus as their Savior. Go after them. If somebody walks into this church and you don't recognize them, you ought to go after them. In a loving, kind way, you ought to seek them out and introduce yourself. Find out where they are, find out who they are, make them feel welcomed. What what we're doing here, what James is saying, what we're doing here is not a game. That's what I'm trying to stress to us. It's not recreation. It's not perfunctory. It's not optional. It's not casual. It's war. We, We are fighting hell and Satan together. We're coming together so that we can scatter well. We're coming together to spur one another on, to add a boy, to hang in there, to keep at it, because when we go out there, Satan is going to want you to quit. He's going to want you to walk away, He's going to want you to just throw it. He's going to want you to do a lot of things, to deceive you. We gather so that we will scatter well. We are preparing for war here. We are soldiers preparing for war, encouraging the fight. And we gather, at least in part, to prevent wondering so, so that we could scatter and, and, and do well and be in line with the gospel and what God has called us to do. Listen to me, when we come after you, just know it's out of love. I hope it'll be out of love. And I hope you'll receive it as in love. When, when you've been gone a couple weeks, I hope you'd get phone calls. I hope people would call asking, where are you? And I hope you would receive that in love because... We just want to check in. They might be caught up in sin. And guess what James is saying? Whoever you turn them away. Bring them back. It might be that they're sick. It might be a ministry. It could be a variety of things, but go after them. As, As we close, I hope you see that praying for one another is so vital. That's the point I'm trying to make. We're at war. And as I thought, why don't we pray, the two words kept coming in my head. Lord, why don't I pray more? When I struggle with that, a couple couple things, and and here were the two words. And you see them on your handout. And I've kind of put them in a prayer request. I pray that we will see the importance of community of believers and be desperate enough to pray for one another. I'm not sure we're desperate enough. I'm not sure we really see the battle that's going on. I'm not sure we're aware of the battle that's going on at all times. And we think we're good on our own. We think we're okay. We think we're, we're better than we are. There's a battle going on for your kids, for my kids, for you, for me, for the world. I pray that we'd be desperate enough to see God glorified that we'd pray. But secondly, I think it's a love issue. I pray that we would see the importance of the community of believers and love each other enough to pray. Here's what I've noticed. When something happens to my wife or my kids or my immediate family, I got no problem praying. You know why? Because I love them. And I love them a lot. And if we were honest, what what some of us need to confess is God created me in love in each other, a love for one another, that we would pray. So as we close I just ask you, how are you doing? How's your prayer life? Are you desperate enough to pray? Do you love others enough to pray? Think about this. When's the last time that you took our directory and just went through it and prayed over every family that was here? When's the last time you just looked at the pictures and names and just prayed over their families? We need to be a people, James is saying, in the midst of this battle to pray. It's interesting, even in John 17, you see Jesus himself praying for you and for me. And you can go there in John 17. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they will be one even as you are one and I in them and you are in me, that they will be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent them. Unity. Togetherness. I pray that if a lot of things would... would, would qualify us as people, would describe us as people. But more than anything, I pray that we would be a praying people. I pray that we would love each other enough, that we'd be desperate enough for God to, to be glorified in our lives, that we would pray. That we'd be desperate enough that we would finish strongly, like Paul said, that we would not hypothetically or, or, or really make a shipwreck of our faith through praying. The Bible is very clear in the la- in days to come, he says apostasy will be huge. There will be people deceiving, deceiving, deceiving. May we we stay true at least through the prayers of each other. Obviously God is sovereign, but may, may we be a praying people.